Thank you for tuning in to The Grammar of Grief with your host, Uma Girish, the show that is dedicated to creating a safe space to discuss the big life questions around grief, loss, death, and dying. Now, here's your host, Uma Girish. Hello, everyone. Today, my guest is Nina Sharaplova. Since the 70s, Nina has been on a spiritual path, interacting with others as a holistic nutritionist, a soul realignment practitioner, and a spiritual counselor. A truth seeker and a supportive guide, she's a book editor, a healing minister with the Anglican Church of Canada, and a co-leader of the Vancouver chapter of the International Association for Near-Death Studies. Standing with one foot on esoteric soil and the other on Christianity, she seeks to fulfill her passion and to understand her essential part in the mystery through self-awareness. Welcome, Nina. So happy to be talking with you today. Thank you so much, Uma. I'm delighted to be here. All right. So for the benefit of our listeners, can you briefly share with us the circumstances in which your mother died and how it affected you? Certainly. Um, My mother died in 2014. It's now three years since she died, but it was a very long disease process. It started about 20 years before that. And even before that, she had an illness that couldn't quite be uh, diagnosed or it it sort of shape-shifted with with the medical profession. So that when the the disease began that she eventually died of it, it then became a very slow awareness that I was going to lose my mother. I mean, you know, in the natural progression of, of life, Uh, children usually lose their mothers rather than the other way around, rather than mothers losing their children. Um, It's inevitable and nothing somehow can prepare you, no matter how well one prepares. So so the disease that my mother had was oral cancer, which is a really cruel disease because it's relentless and she underwent a lot of surgeries a lot uh, she had implants by the end um dental implants um i won't go into all the details but it was a it was a very painful and challenging process and she uh, she has ha- had and still has wonderful spirit and so she she wanted to keep living and so she did, and she lived to the age of 95. So, so this disease began when she was in her mid-70s, and eventually she died of it in her mid-90s. Wow. Were you very close to your mother? Yes, I would say I was. I, uh, I grew up in Wales. My parents lived in Wales um, for most of my, for all of my childhood. I left to move to Canada I got married and moved to Australia. Um, while I was in Australia, my parents came and joined us. We, my, my first husband and I bought a sheep and cattle property out in Australia. And there were a couple of 
several houses on the property. And my parents, my, once my father retired, they moved out to Australia and lived on the property with us. Um, and the timing was brilliant because I was having my third and fourth child <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, during those years. And uh, so they lived with us in Australia for five years. And yes, we, I mean, we were already close, but it, it you know, when, when you're actually living uh, so close physically, it brings you even closer. And my mother was a, a she was a very practical person and um, very generous, open-hearted, uh, always willing to help, always seeing the best in people, very gregarious, outgoing. Yeah. Yes. How did you deal with the grief that surfaced when she passed away? Well, I think the grief starts ahead of the death. For me, it did, uh, because I knew she was going to die. Um, And then when the moment came, and the moment at which I knew she was going to die within the next few days, that moment was when she could no longer put the prosthesis in her mouth. And without the prosthesis, she couldn't drink water. Mm. She couldn't eat. She couldn't drink water. So... So you know that the end is there. But the grieving begins a long time before. And it goes on. And, and just talking with you now about it, mm. it brings it back. Because uh, even though I know that my mother as a spirit is alive and well in the other realm, I miss her physically. Absolutely, Nina. I hear you loud and clear. Just yesterday on a call with a client, I spoke about this balancing act that we do as human divines. You know, we know that we are connected with our loved ones in spirit and we know that we just shed the human body, but that doesn't make it any easier. Even today, eight years after my mother has died, Uh, Mm -hmm. When I hear a song that reminds me of her or when I cook a dish that she used to love, I find myself dissolving into tears and I give myself permission to do that. I hold myself with compassion. And I was sharing the story with this client of mine to say that being spiritual has nothing to do with experiencing the real emotions of the human experience. That's right. That's right. We have, I, I think what's important within spirituality is to allow ourselves to experience. To, to me, that's one of the major reasons we come to earth is to experience the challenges and loss through, through grieving the death of a loved one. Loss is one of the big challenges. I, you know, it moves me so much that I am... One of the books that I am in the process of writing right now is on loss because it's so important because we all lose things, relationships, people that we love and our life changes and we have no way to control a return to the way that things were. So true. Mm-hmm. Now, how did your mother's death help deepen your understanding that consciousness never dies? Was this something you knew even before, or was this event a catalyst in your awakening? Um, no, it was not a catalyst. I think my father's death had actually more impact on me. My father was 
um, he was an atheist. He believed having fought during the Second World War and seen the atrocities that went on, he believed there could be no God. Mm. And I understand that uh, as a very real concern for a lot of people because they believe that if, if there were a God, that he would intervene and make things right. But it's we who create the wars and we who prolong the hatreds and the adversity. And it's we who must set them aside and remember that we are co-creators of, of divine love and that we have to do the work. Anyhow, so, so my father died. My, both my parents died in a hospice setting in Victoria, British Columbia in Canada. Um, it, it, that was so wonderful because they're given such perfect care for relieving pain at the end of life and allowing whatever their process will be for it to happen and to unfold without any interference, any rushing and so on. So uh, with my father, and this was um, uh, several years earlier, at least a decade and a half earlier, uh, so I came and went. I lived in Vancouver, so he was in Victoria Hospice, and so it was a ferry ride away, and I would go across and see him and stay for several days. And he lived for 10 days without anything, mm -hmm. with no food and no water, by choice. That was his choice. Um, and they had a very good library at the hospice, and I took some books out, and they really helped me to understand how death fits into how we process life better. I'm not sure if that's the right way to say it, but it just, if, if we could, it, it just helped me understand the part that death plays in our, in our life's journey. Um, and that was a very deepening experience for me because he was an atheist. And there was I learning more about my own spirituality because of his dying. That was very profound. And so when your mother died, um, you had this understanding that consciousness never dies. Did that really help you hold space for what was happening? Yes, it did. It did. And yeah, it, it helped me, as you say, to hold space for myself and to allow myself to cry and to recognize. I, d I decided during the time that she was in hospice that I was going to honor her with a eulogy. And so I started writing that eulogy, and I and I, <laughs> I then tried speaking it to my first my husband, uh, and then some of my children. And of course, I couldn't get through it mm -hmm. without dissolving in tears. I could only get part way through it. I got a little bit further each time. It wasn't so hard to write it down, but it was hard to speak it. And in the end, I asked my daughter to stand beside me um, during the service to just hold a space with me, which she did because she and my mother had exchanged, um, well, my, my daughter had, had um, excuse me, just a moment. Uh, my, my daughter had... Uh, sent me an email about the, the huge influence that my mother has, has had on her life. 
and uh, the bi the big um, phrase being something along the lines of um, honoring one's life and living it in in truth and fullness, something along those lines. So it was just wonderful to have my daughter there, and together we held that space. Beautiful. Mm. Now, tell us a little bit about your books. You're a book editor and an author. Tell us about the kinds of books you write, why you write them, and what you hope they will do in the world. All right. The first book I wrote was um, in the 1970s when I moved to Canada's largest ranch. I called the book Cattle Ranch, and it's a history of Douglas Lake Cattle Company, which is a... Um, half a million acres uh, with, with cattle, raising cattle in the interior of British Columbia. Um, that book came out at the end of the 1970s, just as I was moving to Australia. So I didn't sort of get caught up in it, if you know what I mean. I wrote it, got published, I moved away. Uh, I didn't start writing again for another 20 years. And... I find it quite interesting that, okay, I'm going to segue a little bit. I'm a singer, mm -hmm. and one of my very best teachers that I ever had, she said, in order to sing high notes, you have to have very solid foundation. And I want, as a soprano, I want to sing the high notes. And so... You have to be firmly grounded with your feet on the ground, solid, giving your, the, the body the best posture, uh, space for breathing, and so on. It's the same with writing, and it's the same with our personal growth. Um, my first book and, my, and the first place I lived was on a cattle ranch that is very, very grounded. Uh, the, it was all about history. It's what's happened before on that piece of ground. Who are the people involved? Very physical, very tangible. For, since then, I have worked my way up so that I am now writing about spirituality topics, topics to do with spirituality. So my second book, uh, which first came out in 2015, uh, the title is Trust the Mystery, questions, quotes, and quantum wisdom. And it's really, it's like a companion piece. It's, uh, it comprises anecdotes from my own life, um, quotes from other people who have something to say about the topics I'm writing about. And if readers go logically through it, they find it is a an absolute progression of the way that we live our lives and the way that we can, uh, through self-awareness, that we can actually move along our journey comfortably accepting the mystery that occurs, the, the coincidences, the um, synchronicities, and realize they are all purposeful and that we have a purpose and that our purpose is really important and that, that it's essential um, and also that we are unique parts of this universe and we can only fulfill our purpose when we are fully, fully, fully ourselves. 
So true. So true. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious how you came to write these kinds of books after your book on, you know, cattle, and yes, cattle ranching. Yes. So what was the, what was the, the pivotal moment where yeah. you felt called to write about deeper subjects, subjects that aren't really in the popular list, if, if you know what I mean. It's very but, Yeah, <laughs> that you felt called to do this and make this your offering to the world. Yes. Well, as I said, I think, I think we all have the purpose to be ourselves fully. And we also need to find what, what specific purpose, we can call it our mission or our goal, what, what specific item brought us to this earth. I, I believe strongly in reincarnation. Um, and, and with that belief goes the suggestion in my mind that I am here to do something specific. And I believe what that specific thing is, is to help people through my writing to become more appreciative of themselves and to realize why they're here um, and to realize how important each of us is. And, and, and so that, that, it may sound a little vague, but that is my topic area. It's, it's helping people I think particularly people who are sitting on the fence, who may not even realize that they are searching, it helps them to find what they're searching for, which in the end is themselves and their own purpose. I couldn't agree more. Mm. Now, a question that comes to me often from people that work with me, who are in my workshops, or even on Facebook is, how do you stay present to a loved one who's dying and given your experience of helping your mother move through the transition, you must have had that experience of, you know, having to be with her, having to be present to her when there was very little you could do. There was a lot of mm-hmm. anticipatory grief that you experienced, I'm sure, in mm-hmm. the weeks and months that led to her passing. Mm-hmm. So how, how do you stay present when someone you love you know, just has a finite amount of time. Right. Um, in both cases, with the death of my father and the death of my mother, we, uh, my sister and I, there are just the two of us, um, together we had, uh, or in, independently, I guess, uh, opportunities to learn more about our parents' lives before they died. So with my father... Uh, for him, it was kidney cancer, uh, gone too far by the time they did surgery. And so he was in one hospital for some surgery, was sewn up again. And while he was there, um, people said to him, well, you know, here you are, you're a Welshman living in Canada, and you've lived in Australia. Tell us about your life. And so my father started to write his uh, memories of his own life, uh, about being in the war, about you know growing up, starting to um, work in his father's business, um, where his family went, just all sorts of things, just a very natural narrative of his own life. My, I was very busy at the time um, 
working full time for children at home. I think I was still I was already going to university <laughs> at the same time too. <laughs> oh, crazy! Uh, and my sister had a little bit more time on her hands, and she typed out our father's memories of his life, and that was a just a fabulous process for all of us involved. My my sister, my mother, and my father because he would. He would write his notes. My mother, my sister would type them up. And then between the, the, the two of them, we'd also, my mom and I would also read what's been written. And, you know, it was a fabulous process. So I did something a little bit similar with my mother. She had a little footstool, um, two feet by two feet by two feet, just a little box, you know, with a cushion on top where she put her feet. Inside this little cushioned box were hundreds of black and white photographs going back, uh, some of them for centuries. We went through that whole footstool. I mean, there were literally hundreds, and we would look at each photograph and remember, and I mean, I wouldn't remember, she would remember, but I would write down. Some of them had dates and names on the back, some of them didn't, and this was a fabulous process because she went back into her, into her own youth, her trying to remember about her parents' lives. It, it was just a wonderful way to stay engaged. So um, uh, because, because she lived uh, a ferry ride away from me, I would go um, initially maybe once every couple of weeks, uh, you know, it became more frequent. And I would stay. I would stay for several nights and then go back. Maybe I'd go on a weekend and then go back uh, to Vancouver. Um, so you know, we would we would delve into the photos in the in the footstool, and then she'd get tired and she'd have a, a rest. Uh, she had a rest after lunch. Maybe we'd go into town. Um, I would take her to her hairdressers. She was getting her hair done right to the very last week that she died. <laughs> um, I just, whatever it was she wanted to do, that's what we did. But, but what I wanted to do is get to know more about her family. And I, because I'm a writer and um, books feel really important to me, I managed to create a family history with... Um, and part of it was these old photographs that we went through and others that I had in different ways. So I managed to compile a, a family history, which was about 170 pages. <laughs> wow, that sounds like a fabulous way to not just stay present to their mm. lives, but to document it so it's like a living legacy. It really was. It, it's it's so wonderful. I'm I'm so happy that you know, that we had the time to do that mm. and that we took the time. And I, you know, toward the end, um, mom, we, we had people come and visit, my sister and I. We would say to different cousins and so on, well, you know, mom's probably not going to make it till February. You might want to consider visiting her now sort of thing. And so they would come and visit and we'd say, she would say to us, um, well, am I dying? Is that what's going on? And, and, and I said, yes, you are. You know, I mean, to, at some point, we start the dying process, even though we may look quite healthy. We've, we've already started to prepare ourselves to leave this earth. And we're wrapping up all the things that we think need wrapping up. 
Yeah, which leads us right into our last question. Now, death is, uh, as you know, in the Western culture, such a bad word. No one wants to talk about it. People turn away from it. There's so much fear associated with it. And yeah. you say the real knowledge of death can inform our lives. Mm. What do you really mean by that? Well, uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a hard thing to voice. Um, and this is why one of the reasons why I write, because I can get it down on the paper more easily than I can say it through. As a reincarnationist, as a person who believes strongly in reincarnation, I believe I am soul or spirit first. I am this human body second. This is a, you know, uh, an 80, 90 year experience. But, but from the perspective of reincarnation, it is just one drop in the bucket of all my lives. If um, by accepting reincarnation as the plan for returning to divine source, I can realize that I can live a better life in every moment. Mm. In, in all my relationships, in all my doings, in all my struggles, you know, when things go wrong, I can either struggle against them and, um, you know, push against the river or as somebody said the other day, try and stop the wind. <laughs> <laughs> I can do that or I can accept it. And, oh my goodness, what a saving of energy to use toward why I'm here and, and to fulfill my purpose. So, um, I, I guess what, what is important for me is the fact that a reincarnation goes with the belief that I have separated from source in order to return to source. Mm. Sounds very simple, but I, I believe that's what it's all about. And reincarnation for me is the vehicle that will help me to get back there, back to source. You sound like a soul sister, Nina, because you sound like um, everything that you're saying echoes what I believe in. So that's just lovely. And I hope our listeners will gain some real wisdom. And if there's something that doesn't resonate with you, feel free to explore. Be curious. This isn't about handing you ideas and notions that you must believe in. But it's a way to open your heart and your mind to what's possible. And so I hope you will take the information that you're listening to and, you know, run with it. Explore what's what's possible. Dive into some of what you're hearing and think about um, how can I deepen my understanding of this topic even further. So before we wrap up, Nina, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you, where they can buy your books and so on. Oh, thank you so much. So I have, um, my name is on Amazon's Author Central. I have an Author Central page. So my surname is a little challenging, perhaps S-H-O-R-O-P-L-O-V-A. And I think I'm the only one in the world. No, not quite. (laughs) I'm the only Nina Sharapleva in the world. There are uh, two other, three other women with the same surname in Bulgaria, my husband's family. Um, so find me on Amazon and I have, uh, four books for sale there, old copies of Cattle Ranch, 
uh, paperback copies of Trust the Mystery, ebook copies of Trust the Mystery with a new subtitle, which is Raising Self-Awareness Through Questions, Quotes, and Quantum Wisdom. And my fourth book that is also there, and it's there only as an, um, uh, an e-book, is called Spiraling Self-Awareness, Personal Mission Revealed in 27 Days Through Pythagorean Numerology's Partnership with the Nine Chakra System. And I'm also in the process of writing several other books. I have a, a, another book that is trying to find a traditional publisher. Um, meanwhile, because that's a slow process, I'm writing a, a shorter book. <laughs> mm. So I have, there's lots going on. Wonderful. Well, Nina, thank you so much for coming on The Grammar of Grief. I'm sure our listeners are inspired and will want to check out more about your work, your services, your journey. So I want to thank you for being here. It's been a delight to host you. Thank you so much, Uma. I really appreciate having this wonderful conversation with you. Thank you thank so much. You. Thank you, listeners, for joining us. And I will be back soon with another new episode on the Grammar of Grief. Thank you for listening to The Grammar of Grief with Uma Girish. If you enjoyed the program, please leave a review and rating on iTunes. Connect with Uma at www.umagirish.com. That's U-M-A-G-I-R-I-S-H.com for grief guidance and inspiration.